you can get through whatever this is. Whatever hard time you're going through right now, whether it is home postpartum, whether it is talking about separation, whether it's doing the hard work to stay married, that you can survive anything that happens. And every hard thing is going to lead to growth. And so what you feel right now, feel it and let it move you. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. You guys are in for a treat today. We have Emily and Jennifer from The Shrink Chicks, who are both licensed family and marriage therapists on. They are the co-founders of The Therapy Group. Before the episode gets started, we wanted to give the disclaimer that this information that we are about to talk about and give is for people that are in healthy relationships. If there is abuse going on or anything like that, these same things are not going to apply to your relationship. With that being said, Abby and I felt like we were truly getting couples therapy in front of thousands of people. We were talking about all of the issues that so many of us face during relationships. My highlight was when they told us, keep bringing the issues up. You know, sometimes in my relationship, I'm thinking, wow, I've got a lot of complaints. Like I've got a lot of things I want to work on with Drew, but they validated that. They said, you know, that means that you actually care and women really need to voice what they need. I love that part too. And also how they went into such detail on what both partners can do in a situation. So they brought up something on perfectionism. So anybody who identifies as a perfectionist, they lay out some very specific things that you can start to do within your relationship to start to just feel more comfortable in your own shoes. And if you're living with a perfectionist, same thing goes there because not one side is right. Not one side can win each time. So they really teach you how to come together and figure out things together, which is key in any relationship. You know, we're in marriage or in partnership, hopefully for life. And that is the goal of it. Another piece I want you to keep your ears out for is when she says, I study you and you study me. We go into, I ask you and you ask me. And just having that be part of your everyday and your conversation so that it can be a work in progress that you guys are making together. So without further ado, here is our interview with The Shrink Chicks. So much of what you guys try to do is to make therapy more relatable and less intimidating for those that might need it. We're wondering, what are the most common misconceptions that people have about therapy? So I think the one I hear the most is one that it's going to feel good after the sessions. That's not necessarily true. What we know is sometimes really important things feel really uncomfortable. So I think for a lot of people, they feel in some ways a vulnerability hangover after a session. And it feels like, oh, well, it shouldn't feel like this. I should feel so great, so energized. And some sessions, you absolutely will feel that. And then other sessions where you're digging deep, especially when you're doing couples work and you have to get called out on some stuff that you're not doing that's so great. I'm not speaking from any preference at all. Like my <laughs> couple, when I end couples therapy, I'm like, that didn't feel great. I didn't want to hear about how I should talk less. And sometimes you have to hear the truth. 
And so there's certain parts of that. And that also, I know what Jen's going to be, so I'm not going to say the next part because I would imagine. Okay. It's probably not what you imagine what I'm going to say. I know I'm throwing you off. We talk all the time and I still surprise her. So I think another misconception just at like a base level is that people see this on TV where it's, you know, the client comes in and they're laying down on a couch and the therapist is like behind you analyzing, not even speaking Right. And so at least in the therapy that we do at our practice at the therapy group, it is very collaborative. We very much believe that you are the expert of your own life. I think that there's this thought that therapists are supposed to tell you what to do, right? Or like tell you the ways in which you should live. But we're more guides to help you figure out the ways in which you want to live your life that works for you, right? Not that works for us, but that works for you. So I think that that's a huge misconception too. Another one I was going to say, this might be the one you were thinking, Em, is that a lot of clients will come in and they will say, I need to not feel this, right? I need to not feel anxious. You need to fix me. And so what I love, part of the work that I really love doing is helping clients really understand that they're human and you can't get rid of feelings as a human being. Unfortunately, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just like snap our fingers or we had some sort of magic. But in reality, you know, therapy is more about helping you understand your emotions, helping you be able to create space between the emotions that you're feeling and the ways in which you respond to those emotions, as opposed to taking them away. And that's a really hard pill to swallow at first for us to say, listen, I can't take your anxiety away. I can help you understand it and I can help you manage it. I can help you nurture yourself through those emotions, but I can't necessarily take it away. I can't take this away. And so let's talk about how we're going to work through this together. Mm, You know, Jen, those were a couple hard pills to swallow because (laughs) I think when we enter therapy and Abby and I have been very honest about our own therapy journeys, the idea that I remember I was going to weekly therapy the first four times I'm crying and I'm feeling horrible afterwards. And like in a generation of women that really likes that fast, quick, positive change, you're asking me to come for a month just so we can lay the groundwork before we can even start to feel a little bit better. I think that's really, really hard for us. So I'm really glad you mentioned that. I also feel like A huge misconception for a lot of us is the idea that we have to wait to go to therapy until like we're having these breakdown moments or our marriage is completely on the rocks. So I'm wondering from you, when do you guys recommend that like a couple would start therapy? What are some like yellow flags? I know, and maybe you guys even think it would be beneficial to every single couple. We're just wondering for a little clarification. So one of the things I would say is one, we believe therapy is whatever works. And so for sometimes, like the reality is, is that a lot of therapists don't take, there's a low reimbursement from insurance. It's expensive. Not everyone has accessible means. So when we talk about this type of work, I'm also going to talk about this as something you can do at home by reading books. There is lots of online guides, there's e-courses, but yellow flags is any life stage transition, parenthood for the first time marriage for the first time, moving in together for the first time, adding even a dog into your house is something that can affect the dynamic. So like those are really good milestone points to do. And then when we talk about yellow flags, right? Like what we know is research tells us that couples come in seven years too late. 
So when couples end up coming into therapy, usually seven years before that, in some fight, I guess we should go see a therapist. And the amount of calls we get a week, right? We own a large practice. We have hundreds and hundreds of people that walk through those doors each week. One of the number one things that we get on our voicemail is I'm calling and this is the last straw. This is the final thing. When you come in that late, also what the energy you brought into that room was, I don't think this is going to work anyway. I'm just doing this to check off the list. So instead, do it early. Feel weird. If it feels like we shouldn't be going yet, that's a great time to go, right? Because also so many of us have thought about it in terms of like a threat and a last ditch effort. That's a little bit, you know, a lot of where the stigma comes in around therapy or couples therapy specifically too, that the idea that a couple is going to therapy, there's a lot of talk around, well, why are they together then if they need to go to therapy, right? You hear all the time that before people are married or before they made this big commitment, oh, we're going to therapy. Oh, well, then why are you even together if you're already starting in therapy? And I think that's where a lot of the stigma comes in, unfortunately, because we really do believe as couples therapists that it is only beneficial to go to couples therapy early in your relationship. No one gave us the tools to be able to communicate really effectively through arguments. Also, we all bring our own from our childhood into our relationships and it gets triggered, right? Like our relationships are the places in which it gets really triggered and we bring that into the relationship. And so part of couples therapy is really understanding yourself and what you might bring into the relationship and how you can communicate through that and how you can hold space for each other. So, you know, we always talk about how helpful it is to understand yourself and how that can help you understand your relationship a little bit better. Because once again, no one taught us this and there's no shame in that. I'm so excited about this interview already. There's a few things that just stood out to me there. Em, when you had mentioned the seven years, I mean, it puts a whole new tune to that seven-year itch, right? Of what could we be doing in the meantime to actually make this better? And then, Jen, what you were saying about not having the tools. I mean, I would never build my own house because I don't know how to build my own house. You have a contractor do that. So why are we supposed to be going through relationships and these conversations all on our own? Like, let's seek the resources. Let's get the tools in place so that we can have a better life because of it. So it's just so true that there's stigma on this mental health, but we wouldn't have this stigma on any other thing that we're hiring out for. And you also mentioned something there, Jenna, about having that relationship with ourselves and how important that is. So let's dive into that a little bit, because what are your thoughts around this piece of it on really establishing that foundation on how we trust ourselves, how we love ourselves, that relationship with us and how it affects literally every other relationship that we have with anyone else? So, you know, I think it connects to pretty much everything. And I think that as human beings, we're so complex. We have so much to learn and understand about ourselves. Kind of at a base level, I think to be able to really understand the things that, you know, trigger stronger emotions in you, because it might be different than what triggers stronger emotions in someone else. And a lot of that can come from, how we were raised growing up, some of the childhood wounds that we have that we bring into our romantic relationships, our friendships, into our everyday lives. And we don't really realize it, right? We don't really give ourselves the space to understand, like, where is this really coming from? Where was this wound started? And how do I work through that so that when that wound is being opened up in my life, I'm able to understand it and I'm able to hold space for myself. So I'm not 
taking it out on other people or not self-sabotaging or it's not affecting me in ways that are going to further hurt me or hurt this wound. So kind of at a base level, I think just really understanding ourselves, understanding the ways in which we were raised, understanding how we bring that into present day can be so much more helpful in gaining more clarity with it. Because without that clarity, it just comes out as reactivity or it comes out as stress, anxiety, depression. Um, There's so many ways that it can come out and affect our relationships without us realizing it. So making it more conscious gives us a little bit more control over and a little bit more understanding of it. There's that really great Instagram quote, and I say Instagram quote because I don't know actually who did it, but everyone just stole it from each other, which is, if you don't heal what hurts you, you bleed on people that weren't even there. And so this very real idea about that we do bring everything with us into all of our relationships. If I felt highly criticized as a child from a parent, I might end up at work and my boss gives me a little feedback and I totally go into a shame spiral about how horrible I am. And that's because of this massive inner critic that got developed from these parental voices, right? And so we have to understand all of that stuff that joined with us, this before baggage and how to handle it to make our relationships as best as possible. We're big believers that like, you don't have to be fully healed, whatever that means to be in love. This entire thing, if you got to love yourself first, that's not necessarily true. Relationships heal us all the time. We know the significance. We have data around the significance of healing relationships, of community care. You can sit right next to each other on that couch and see that that's a healing relationship, right? And so let relationships heal you. Let yourself be open to that healing and don't act like you can shove everything else up onto a shelf and not think that it's going to affect you in some way. We are very deep as humans. There is a lot that we're bringing into this. There's a lot ahead of us that we don't even know yet exists, but it can cause some problems. But there are also some challenges that we can overcome together. Like you guys are literally giving so much hope to people that have some of these issues that while you're healing yourself, while you're healing with your partner, I mean, good things can happen. And I kind of want to talk about one specific issue. So perfectionism. We're talking to a lot of women right now who identify as perfectionists. I am one of those women. And in the past, I mean, even today, I can name several times where it's become an issue. Like little disagreements happen, annoyances start to pop up, both sides are you know, not benefiting from the situation. So how do non-perfectionists and perfectionists coexist? Like, give us your tips here. <laughs> the silence, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> I think because there's so much we can dig into yeah. there <laughs> that it's hard to figure out where to start because, you know, I think about perfectionism almost uh, stemming from a bit of fear, like that what would happen if I relinquish some of this perfectionism? I look at perfectionism almost as a coping mechanism, as a way to protect ourselves. That, you know, once again, if you start from childhood of, I develop this as a way to take care of myself if I am perfect and I will receive the love that I wasn't getting in other ways, right? So I think that there's pieces of it that can stem from earlier development. But to think about it as a coping mechanism that I'm holding on to this perfectionist as a way to take care of myself, as a way to make sure that everything is perfect and that I'm not messing up because if this gets messed up, what happens? Where is the fear there? So for anyone's listening who might identify as a perfectionist, that's a question that I would encourage you to ask yourself. 
is if this isn't perfect, what is my fear of what's going to happen? What's the worry there? I don't think it's like this ironic, weird, silly coincidence that millennial women are perfectionist, people-pleasing overachievers. I don't. (laughs) Clearly, this came from somewhere for all of us, and it all seems to be going together. And as we're sitting here and into our 30s and 40s, when we're having a large amount, there's career pressure, there's familiar pressure. We have our parents getting older and they're taking care of them. We're also taking care of our children or our wonderful pets in our homes. Any of these things, there is this difficulty what we go into of the emotional bandwidth of how much gets put on us and how much we take on in our relationships. You had asked, how do these two people do it together, right? How do we do this in a relationship? And what Jen and I talk about a lot that we want people to really think about is relational awareness. If I know Jen is really good at this, she won't ever talk about this, but I'm going to brag for her, which is she's so good at saying, I can see that my partner is really stressed and anxious and her tone switches with him. For a lot of relationships, that triggers you and you become highly critical of them. Oh God, he's like in a mood today. I got it. He's driving me nuts. I got to get away. Jen is one of the people that I have seen do this really beautifully where when her partner is struggling, her tone changes. She becomes more gentle, more nurturing and more patient with them. That's very, very hard to do because for a lot of us, we then get activated, escalated, and we want to criticize or run away. It is really hard to turn to your partner and relational awareness at their most difficult moments. And so when we ask, how do people do this together? It's, I study you, I study me, and that makes the best marriage. Thank you for saying that. I'm not so <laughs> you would never take the credit, but that's one of the beautiful things you do. And that's what you rework with clients on. And it's easy, right? I mean, those who can't do teach, right? Like it's easy for us to tell people what to do, but to truly understand this, we have to do it ourselves. And I think that that's a really good example about like, When someone's highly activated, when I'm in my perfectionistic state, right? Maybe I need the house cleaner. I need things moving faster. I get escalated. I'm Energizer Bunny, right? Like up, 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 up. And it's really easy for your partner to run away, be like, oh my God, there she is doing her thing again. Or it's really easy for me to say, here you go again in your perfectionistic spiral. You're annoying everyone. You're driving us nuts. You're all you're getting out of me as opposed to, hey, I can see you're really activated right now. What do we need? What can I take off your plates? What do you need? And whenever you're ready, I'm here. And can I just say the only, I don't think I was always like that, but the way (laughs) to get there, you know, is to first develop that for yourself, your ability to say to yourself, I can see I'm really activated right now. What's going on for me? What do I need? The more you practice your ability to be compassionate towards yourself the more you're going to be able to practice it in your relationships. You know, going back to the piece of why it's so important to develop that relationship with yourself in order for you to further develop your relationship with your partner or your friendships or your family is that the more you're able to give that to yourself, the more you're going to be able to give that to others. And the less you give it to yourself, the less you're going to be able to give it to others. That it easily translates in your relationships. That's very aspirational because (laughs) I'm actually married to a perfectionist and his perfectionist spirals happen so often that I think I can agree to try to bring my tone down like 80% of the time. (laughs) But I think like what gets really hard to be on the other side of the relationship, it's here. But like, why don't they have to work on 
calming down themselves. They do. Everyone has the number one thing is that is radical personal responsibility, radical personal responsibility. I have to take full responsibility for my stuff when it comes up. And then I have to have radical acceptance for how it is, right? I have to own it. I have to see it. I have to apologize for it. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about relational awareness, it also means the ability to put yourself in timeout. I am the one in my relationship who is the escalator. More often than not, my husband will very rarely, he's like, very even keel, right? That's not me. That's not me. I'm annoying. I'm difficult. I have all these things you can already tell. And so what I have to know about myself is it doesn't help our marriage, the us, the relationship, right? It helps me de-escalate myself when I spiral out. It hurts him and then it hurts us. If one person hurts, marriage hurts. So to say, I actually have to go into timeout. I am spiraling right now. I am activated. When escalation happens, I have to go to my calm down corner. Right? We say that to our kids. We don't say time out anymore. You say calm down corner. <laughs> you can say, right? Gentle parenting. And so to say yourself, and that's taking personal radical responsibility that I can't think that someone else will calm me down. And if it becomes one partner's job to de escalate the other, then we have resentment. You know what I think is another issue for millennial women, you know, 30s, 40s, is that so many of our listeners are so interested in this type of information. They're the ones that are listening to our podcast, listening to your podcast, doing all the work. And then you're sitting there looking at a partner that didn't do a year of therapy. And I know it can't be like this tit for tat, work on yourself vibes, but like from our community, I hear all the time, it's so frustrating because why doesn't he think he has to learn about parenting more gently? Why doesn't he think he has to learn about perfectionist spirals and how, you know, different tools that he could slow himself down? Why is it that like now all of the work is on my shoulders? And then if I bring you the work, you're annoyed with the work. (laughs) It's like, it's really hard. Yeah. It is. It absolutely is. And, you know, I have been giving my husband sneaky therapy for like (laughs) eight years. (laughs) So, (laughs) Because as I'm sure if you're listening to this, you have recognized that if you say, hey, why don't you read about perfectionist spirals or why don't you that they're like, what are you even talking about? And so, you know, I know we're speaking kind of in a very heteronormative way, but men you know, because in our society haven't really been taught to understand their emotions or be able to express their emotions or have a level of vulnerability. Women are more given the space to be able to dig deeper and say, what am I feeling right now? What's going on for me? How does this affect me? And so, you know, I just want to validate it that it can be really frustrating from the other side to be doing all of this work and saying, I'm doing everything that I can do to take control of this situation, to feel like I'm my best self. I'm putting my best foot forward, but I'm not seeing you do any of the work. And with that, as we get frustrated in our relationships, we build resentment. And when we build resentment, we see them not doing the work. We get angry. We start to project that onto them. And so the reason why, as we talked about earlier, my tone has changed or I have worked on that is that I have started to say, you know, when my husband gets into these, because he's very much a perfectionist, gets into these spirals. I will reflect and say, hey, it seems to me like you're feeling really anxious or like from what I'm seeing, it sounds like 
you're really struggling today. He might have no idea that that's the case, right? Like men haven't been given the space to be able to understand their emotions. So they might have no idea what they are feeling. And as women, we are so rooted in that, right? We're constantly trying to figure out what we're feeling. We were always given that space to understand what was going on for us in society. And so the thing that's been really helpful is to be able to reflect back, hey, I can tell you're really anxious and it's coming out in their actions to always look underneath it and say, well, what's going on underneath this? What are you feeling? What's going And I've been able to, with my husband specifically, get down to the fact that when those perfectionist spirals are happening, something really stressful at work is going on, right? There's something else that he doesn't have control of that he's feeling really anxious about. And so if you can reflect on those deeper emotions over, I know you're, you are not your partner's therapist. I want to say that first and foremost, but to really understand and know each other takes time and you grow over time in your relationship and really understanding each other. And so for you to be able to reflect, Hey, I noticed that there was a shift here. Like I noticed you went into cleaning the entire kitchen and you're putting every, whatever it is, what's going on for you? Like what's happening? Is something happening at work? I just noticed this shift. The more you pull it out, the more they're going to be able to notice it too. They might have no idea. We have a secret that everyone should know about, which is that (laughs) That we're going to tell everyone, which is women, you have way more power in your marriages than you tell yourself you do. Dare to be unhappy. Be unhappy if it's not working. Don't act like it is. It's the number one thing that's going to make a difference is because we also have this millennial women issue of people pleasing. We are the queens at having a big blow up fight, playing nice for a few weeks, blow up fights. They do nothing or your husband, I don't know, he changes for two to three weeks. Then it goes back to the same thing and then you do the same fight over again. And we go and we go and go and continue on that cycle. If something doesn't work in your marriage, you tell your partner every single day, this doesn't work. I'm unhappy. This is what I need. Because if you're going to stay in something, you have to fight for it too. So dare to be unhappy and be okay with being unhappy, even if that makes things uncomfortable. A quick break from our longtime partner, Gooder. As I've mentioned, I just absolutely stocked up on Gooder sunglasses. I want a pair for the office, a pair for home, a pair for in the car. I just never want to be without them. What's interesting is I know the snow is coming and the snow is very bright. So you're going to need sunglasses even in the winter. Some of my favorites are Bosley's Bassett Hound Dreams, A Ginger Soul, Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. But what we really love about Gooder is it allows you to express yourself. There's so many different options. So whether you like super bright colors or you're like me and you really want to stay within the black and brown range, they have a pair for you. What I just did is I went onto their website with any pair you can try them on online. It's really simple and it gives you a peek into what they're going to look like on your face. So you can go to gooder.com. That's G-O-O-D-R.com. And you can use the code herself at checkout for a special discount. Well, it's interesting because as we do learn more, you know, and we said, yes, we understand we're talking about men and women here and the different dynamics that can play out, but they're very well studied. It's like the more you learn, 
almost as women, the matter you become. And so a lot of us are at this point in our relationships and we're parenting. We have a lot of listeners with very young kids. And so the resentment is building because you had a bunch of blind spots and now it's like almost that you can see more, you have more problems. So for example, and I'm definitely getting therapy here today, but there were a lot of things I pointed out to my husband this past week. And he's like, wow, I feel like you have a lot of problems. You know, every day you're bringing me something. And I'm like, because they're right here. Like this is a problem. And so I think that the challenge for us is that I want to feel really happy in my relationship. And what you're telling me is to keep bringing these issues up, but then we can get in a pattern where we almost see every single problem and we bring it up. And that's a really hard place for a marriage to be too. So I'm wondering if you have any coaching for us, because it's like once we start seeing things, we see a ton of them. And we also want to be in a healthy environment where not all of our communication is negative. Mm-hmm. Listen, there's a reason that the rate of divorce plummets down after all your kids turn five. This is hard. This is survival, right? So all of us is like, oh my gosh, I had two sick kids today. Somebody's teething. Someone is in a sleep regression. Nothing is. The last thing you want to do is bring up how you were frustrated again that they didn't turn over the dishwasher, even though you've asked one million times. That's reasonable. You're going to have to say to yourself, what matters fighting for? Because you're right. One of the things you're talking about is there's actually a lot of reasons to be mad. This kind of sucks in some ways. The massive amount, the imbalance of load in households is ridiculous. And so it is one okay to be mad. Be mad at the system. We should be mad at the system. We should be mad at the system that had every woman end up here today that got us into that. Let's be mad at the system and work with our partners. Right. So being mad, the system is saying, I know that you didn't create this system here. I know that you yourself are not the patriarchal thing that got me here. And you're also part of it, benefiting from it. And so here's what I need. And so Terry Real, who wrote The New Rules of Marriage, he wrote us and he wrote, I don't want to talk about it. He's amazing. If you haven't read The New Rules of Marriage, I can't recommend it enough. One of the things that Terry talks about is the paradox of great relationships is the great relationships are the ones that are willing to risk it all with bad conversations. To sit in uncomfortable, hard conversations actually ends up with the happiest marriages. So the coaching I would say is one, take care of yourself, let yourself be mad, let yourself be pissed, let yourself talk about it, and still let yourself turn towards your partner and say, we're going to have to change this, my friend, because this is not working. And you have more power than you ever realize. I feel like there's a certain shame around the emotion of anger for women. And I'm like, no, (laughs) there's things to be angry at. I'm going to be angry. I'm not going to suppress that. We as a couple are going to work through that to figure out how we can, you know, have that come up less often. One thing that we have been alluding to is the fact that a lot of people in our listenership, we know that they struggle with avoiding conflict. And you alluded to it's just like, sometimes we're so strapped, we're so busy, we're so worn out that having those big talks 
just becomes another thing and another weight. I'm wondering though, in your practice, when couples get into this pattern of avoiding conflict, what happens down the road? We've always talked about this, that we are, when couples come in to our room and they're fighting with each other, there's so much more that can happen as opposed to couples that come in and aren't speaking because there's so much that builds up over the years where you're holding that in and the resentment builds up and really builds on itself and it can eat away at you and it can eat away at the relationship. And so something to remind yourself is if this relationship is worth it, I am going to have to express myself, right? I know that it is easier to hold stuff in coming from a conflict avoider. I know that. (laughs) I am well aware that that is way easier, but it will absolutely eat away at your relationship if it's something that you are holding in. And that's not to say, just as Emily said earlier, you have to decide what's worth fighting for, right? That there are certain things you might have to say, okay, you know, I'm just going to pick this up. It's easier. But when things are building and it becomes a bigger issue, right? Where it's just not unloading the dishwasher. It's not helping with the kids. It's the overall picture of I'm worn down. I really need some help and I don't feel like I'm getting it from you. How can we change this together? How can we move forward and go in a different direction? Something we talk about a lot is creating space around those conversations so that they don't come out in the midst of your anger really flaring up. Sometimes they only come out in the midst of a fight as opposed to, I'm going to intentionally bring this to you and we're going to have a conversation around it. We always talk about the idea that when people say, don't go to bed angry, right? That thought of you need to figure this out before you go to bed. But we talk about how having lack of sleep, you know, the entire day wearing you down, having all of that stress, and then trying to have a conversation about your relationship is not going to end well for the two of you. So we always say, just go to bed, get your sleep, create space around those conversations so that you're both well-rested, so that you're both well-fed, that you're in a good place. You know you're both coming to the conversation to talk about your relationship, to move things forward, to problem-solve together, as opposed to having it come out in the middle of an argument when it's not intentional. So being able to say, hey, I want to create space for our relationship where we talk about some of these things. And that's where, once again, going to couples therapy can be really helpful to have someone in the room, to have that 50 minutes of space where you're talking about your relationship. You have a mediator there. But to intentionally create space around your relationship and around those conversations is essential. Let's take a pause from this interview to bring up our new self-care course. We just launched this and in the first week, we had over 100 women join. And now we're getting emails, DMs, and text messages with how meaningful the lessons and the course workbook have meant to you as community members. We love hearing this feedback. And we know that as human beings, taking care of yourself within that partnership needs to be first. It sets the foundation. And that's exactly what our self-care course does. We help you set the habits and the foundation to make self-care a priority, to make your needs a priority. So as we head into the holiday season, into winter, if you have been putting yourself on that metaphorical back burner, now is the perfect time to really get things straight and make sure that you are a priority once again. If you head to herself 
www.teachable.com and use code 15OFF. As a Herself podcast listener, you'll get 15% off your purchase of the self-care course. Again, that's herself.teachable.com and use code 15OFF. That's 15OFF. Now, back to our show. You had said like, what are some of the things that can happen if there's avoidance? Okay, so no desire for one another. Anger, rage, rage is a step above. Anger of I hate you and I feel it in my bones, right? It's higher than resentment. I had really severe postpartum rage before I got a medication after postpartum depression. It is scary. That feeling, if you've ever experienced it, is I truly cannot contain myself. I am so mad. But really what it is, is I am so sad. I am so lonely. I am so scared. And I feel oh so unsupported. So the avoidance that happens is I discount you and our marriage. I stop giving myself the joy of laughter, of friendship, of sex with my partner when I avoid. In some ways, we're like, I'm going to do it to punish you. But it hurts us because we deserve happy marriages. This is not just about making sure that the marriage works for your partner. This marriage has got to work for you. In both of your answers, I know that our listeners can see themselves in your words. I mean, for the people pleasers, the ones who are not saying what's on their mind and they just feel all this bottling up inside and they just don't know when the right time is to explain it, to state what's on their mind. Like our listeners heard that in your words. The person who's experiencing the rage and it's just, it's so much hatred because it went from resentment to, you know, avoiding the conflict to all of a sudden this blow up. We can see ourselves in those words. So let's try to figure out how we can prevent this from happening. And you've gone through so many different preventative tools throughout this episode, but we know that conflict is a healthy part of relationship. But we also know in the little kid years, like we don't have a lot of time to have the conflict and then all of a sudden repair and you know become best friends again, have the good conversations and feel good in that. So what are some of your tips for repairing after a conflict, after some kind of fight when we have that with our partner? I like a system. Like I said before, I like a system. So my couples therapy worked really well with us about is that because then if the system fails, I get to blame the system and not you. And so the system of here's our repair tradition that we do. So when we have rupture and we repair after people have said, I'm sorry, and let's remember that I'm sorry doesn't count if there's defensiveness, right? So if there's defensiveness, we're going to shut that down. Hey, actually two sentences. The number one thing a lot of couples need to do, because we think if we're avoiding, we're not talking. Here's the thing. Then we get escalated and we talk too much. We have unbridled self-expression. It's actually not helpful either. So I tell everyone, like, you get two sentences to say what you want. So think hard and take your time. A crisis is not an emergency. Something can be a crisis in our marriage. And actually, an emergency means urgent. We don't have to do it in that moment. We don't have to fight it out in front of our kids. We don't have to figure this out tonight. If you have a huge meeting tomorrow and the kids are going to be up in the middle of the night because everyone has snotty noses, right? Like we have to think about one, what's our system of how we do this? What's our tradition? And then what's our repair tradition? So after we've said, I'm sorry, is we've had our two sentences and we've taken that personal radical responsibility we talked about we're going to do something, right? What are those things going to be? We listen to a song together. We play a game together. I roll out the connect four. 
and her husband go with a lot of quizzo, you know, whatever it is, like sometimes, <laughs> like, what is like a Philly thing? It's like trivia. It? Oh, it's yeah. trivia. Yeah, trivia <laughs> night. Oh my gosh. So that's the jargon. And so, <laughs> so they go to a trivia night, they go out, right? Like my partner and I, we like listening to music and looking at stuff online, right? So like any of those things, here's our tradition that we're going to do. At the end of my tradition, I might not feel super connected to you. Don't freak out. It's normal. Feelings will still there. They have to dissipate for a few days. In another 24 hours, I'm going to ask you to revisit that. How do I feel towards my partner now? How do I feel towards myself right now? So check in with yourself first, right? That's how we want to log all of this to go forth. But I want every person listening to this to come up with a system. What's the system of how do I go to my partner when I'm unhappy with you? Not how do I hold it in and then I just say something snarky about your mother, which, you know, is always a good tactic, never goes as well as you think it's going to, though. (laughs) Right? So what's my system of anger? What's my system of communication? What's my system of repair? And you get to come up with a system together. You know, you talk about it. And I think, you know, we do ourselves a disservice when we don't be able to say like, hey, when we're fighting, how do we want to handle this? Or like when I'm upset about something, how do we want to handle this together? We don't kind of create those systems outside of when we're feeling heightened emotion, because it feels unnatural, right? To go up to your partner and say like, hey, when I'm struggling with something, like let's come up with some sort of system, right? Like that doesn't feel natural in our relationships, but it really safeguards us in a lot of ways. It really helps us because sometimes too, when you know there is rupture, one partner or both partners can feel a lot of anxiety around it of like, I need to make this right. I need to make sure I run to my part. We need to figure this out right now. We hear that all the time in couples therapy. I needed to figure it out right then. And my partner wasn't there because for both of you, one partner might need more space. They might need more time to be able to sit with it, to be able to process their own emotions. And so that's another thing we talk about is that when things are really heightened, to be able to give yourself time to self-soothe and then come back together to be able to have the conversation that when things are getting heightened, it's okay to say, let's take a break and come back to this. This is not going to be helpful for us if we continue in this way. We are saying really hurtful, mean things to each other. Let's take a pause. Let's separate and let's come back to this. Thinking about it in a way of like, we're working on this together. And how are we going to create a safeguard around our arguments so that it doesn't hurt the relationship any further? Mm -hmm. This has been so incredible. I was going to say my therapist, when I was working with her, she was like, because your parents had a high conflict marriage, you're trying to avoid conflict. But how it's coming out in you is like, I want to make up with Drew the minute that we have a conflict. And she's like, it's actually okay if he needs some time. You know, I was trying to argue before we went to bed and I would <laughs> I would be giving him all my points and he would fall asleep. <laughs> and I was like, how can you fall asleep right now? I'm really upset, you know? So I do love the idea that we can we can change our conflict style. The work that we've done to change as a couple, it can be done. And I know if you're in that tough patch and you guys have a pattern you keep falling into, I've been there where you're thinking, I don't know if I could ever fall asleep before something's resolved, but you really can. Another issue that our listeners really have trouble with 
is expressing what their needs are in the relationship. And when we hear from them, often they're like, I don't understand why he can't see what I need. I'm running around crazy getting the diaper bag ready, getting the kids ready, and he's sitting there on his phone. Why should I have to tell a grown man that the family needs help to get out the door? And so I think that's like the overall frustration of women is like, yeah, we get it. But like, they don't see that. Like, I'm like, it's just like, how do you not see all the needs of the family? And then we feel like it's another emotional burden to say, here's what I need from you when it feels like it should be obvious. So we're solving all of the world's problems today. You got to coach us through this one. So the first thing I'm going to say is this, you're right, it's bull. It is like you sit here and you're like, all right, come on, dude. Right. I say this to my husband. I'll say to my husband that my house could be on fire and he'd be like, oh, I'm going to finish this little piece of trim right here. Like no one's seen that ever. Notice that the dog is on fire. The kid is a knife. Like, you know, like it's unbelievable sometimes what husbands <laughs> can do. Knife. <laughs> like I'm just saying, like it's unbelievable sometimes, right? Like this really wild thing. So one, you're right. It's bull. First of all, say, I wish that I had a partner that had more intuition than this. Let yourself be sad about that. And then look at the partner you do have. And <laughs> there he is. <laughs> and there he is, because that's what we got, right? I can't be changing anything. I don't have any miracle pixie dust, although I can't wait to make billions of dollars when I invent it. But what we do have is who's there. And so they do not have the intuition. So what you'll have to do is move your body over, sit directly in front of them and say, hello, you on your phone, I need you. And I know that it sucks to ask for what you need. I know that that some reason feels like it takes away part of the romance, right? Like we have this dream that they know and they see. And part of this is because women do it to each other. Part of this is because in female friendships, we actually do have that. And so you've had that need met before. And so then when your partner, the person you think is going to be your rock solid person doesn't do it. It feels like a betrayal, but men are not women. And I know that that is like a, like probably a cancelable thing to say, but they just have not been given the same skills at all. If you sit your husbands down, if we had them here, they would sit here and be like, yeah, like I didn't grow up babysitting. I didn't grow up thinking about these things. My friends don't like sit here and talk about their kids. Like think about where we get so much information. I don't follow every Instagram account ever about gentle parenting. I like, you want to know what my husband follows? He follows like science facts and like <laughs> lawn architecture. Like we have like, we're in very different echo chambers. Okay. And so what you have to do is say like, we're going to do this together. And part of doing it together is I'm going to teach you the things that you know, and you're going to teach me the things that you know. And together, we're going to learn some new stuff. And this is going to suck. And I wish that we did this before we had the kids. But (laughs) you don't know what you don't know. That is the number one thing that you can take at this is that we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times these husbands, these men, these partners, they don't realize they're doing it. And also sometimes it works out for them. It's one of those things you've heard it before. You've seen men talk about it. Like, well, I just do it really bad. So she never lets me do it again. No, 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 no. (laughs) That's not how we play here. Right. And so to sit here and say like, oh, actually, here is what I need from you. Even if you do it badly and let them do it badly at the beginning, let them fail and let them do it badly because it's the only way people learn and then grieve, grieve desperately for what you wish you had and how much easier you wish this was. It's hard. And, you know, I think that 
so many times, you know, if your husband's on your phone, the way in which we communicate what we need is we say, can you get off your phone and help? You know, like, can you get off your phone? Right? Like, what are you doing? You know, once again, it comes out as resentment. It comes as opposed to, Hey, I really could use help right now. Can you, can you put your phone down? Can you come help me? It would be really helpful for me. Once again, when the resentment builds up time and time again, because we haven't said anything, it comes out in those moments as like, what are you doing? Get off your phone, right? Causing your partner to possibly further shut down, to feel inadequate. And then as they shut down, feel inadequate, they help less, right? They're less able to be there for you. And so, yes, this is a reality. And to just validate how hard this is, another conversation you can have with them is like, hey... I've recognized when we're in the midst of like getting everyone together and you're on your phone, what is a way in which I can ask you to help that will allow you to really hear me and allow you to like, you know, to really communicate about the communication, meta communication. So your ability to say, can I say it differently? Like, is there a different way that you would be able to hear it and really take it in that it would allow you to help me more? Because what's happening is not working and I'm not happy and I'm feeling like I'm taking on more than I can handle. And it's really, really hard for me So to go to your partner with that vulnerability of like, this is really hard. How can I communicate this to you in a different way in which you will really hear it because I am struggling. I want to say also like for the normalization, this is my job. I'm a relationship expert. I have done this for a long time. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of couples. I supervise other couples therapists. Becoming parents almost got me divorced. I've never done something so challenging in my life. Whatever you think you can handle in your marriage, add some kids into that. Woo, hey oh. So the normalization of that, like when you were in the thick of it, when you had these young kids and you were trying, I want you to sit there and say, this will not be forever. This too shall pass. And if we really marry for life, which is like the goal most of us go into it with, I want you to think about if this is for life, then I can afford to piss them off a little bit. If this is for life, I can afford to say hard things. If this is for life, I can fight. If this is for life, I can fall asleep with this discomfort that the fight isn't taken care of, right? Mm -hmm. Long term. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I was just going to add quick that I've tried it both ways. So I've gone before you guys where I just let the resentment build and I would honestly be like red. I was angry. And now when my husband was watching the Packer game with a beer as like the whole upstairs is on fire and he's in the basement, I just go down there and like, we're not doing this. I need you. You're coming up. You've got Max. And I hear the feedback from my community like, I don't want to have to do that. I'm like, okay, but you dealing with it all by yourself actually feels worse to me personally. Like I've tried both ways the resentment and the I'll do everything myself felt way worse than the marching down there and saying, we're not doing this. You're coming up. Well, and, and that feedback you had, I don't want to do this. Me either, man. Right, I, agree. <laughs> I agree. I don't want to do this. I don't want to shower. I don't want to do taxes. I can make a million <laughs> list of things I also do not want to do. But here's what I also know. By the 15th time, and I'm not kidding with that number, 15, that you go down there and you take that remote and you say, I need you, you take Max. By the 16th, he's going to come up and check first. What we know is that we let our kids take four hours to tie their shoes and give them patience. What if we were to do the same thing with our partners? Doesn't mean I want to. Doesn't mean I like it. Doesn't mean I don't wish it was different. It just is. 
Yeah, their timelines can be so different than ours, regardless of personality types, just period. Timelines can look different for every person. And as you were saying that right away at the beginning, you had mentioned, I study you and you study me. And that's what makes the difference. And what I got from that last answer is I can also ask you and you can ask me. And that's what makes the difference. Either asking for more assistance, more support, or asking how can I be that support for you? Like I'm noticing something that is different and just seeing how those simple changes in communication can make a difference in the partnerships that we have. So one final question, we know that there are many people who are listening right now that are in really, really hard stretches. They are in that point where they should have seven years ago started the couples therapy and they feel alone. They're looking at social media, they're looking at their close friends, they're looking at their cousins, they're looking all around them and they see these perfect relationships, these you know, no conflict relationships, these relationships that have an issue and then all of a sudden they're magically solved, that pixie dust that you were talking about before. How can we help that woman who feels so burned out right now because we know that she's listening? How can we help her in her own partnership so that she doesn't feel so alone in the struggles that she's having? Dan, you want to take the first one? First, I was going to say, get off social media. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Get off social media because those perfect relationships that you are comparing your relationship to are not real. Every relationship has its struggles. I don't care what people are posting on social media. Relationships are so hard. And I think that when we are on social media, looking at those idealistic relationships, that it further feeds into this almost expectation that we have that we're supposed to be like that, that our relationship is supposed to be that way. But I always say one of the things that I really appreciate from being a couples therapist and a therapist in general is how normalizing it is because we see all of the backend stuff that no one else sees. And the backend stuff is real struggle in relationships, real pain, and that there is no perfect relationship. So I first just want to validate that, that relationships can be really, really challenging. And when you are going through a really difficult stretch, it can feel really lonely. It can feel even more lonely to be with this person who you're not connecting with, right? Loneliness is very different than being alone. So once again, it can just be so hard to sit with that. But as we said earlier, I want to reiterate the fact that if this is for life and this is worth it for you, then it means changing something right? means changing something in the relationship. And sometimes that change can be so terrifying because it means we have to express all of the things that we have not expressed over the past 5, 10, 15 years. And things need to change. And I think that to be able to say to yourself, listen, something has to change or this relationship maybe cannot move forward. And that I think is really hard for a lot of couples to hear And we say that to couples that come in, listen, it's not our job to help you stay together. It's our job to help you figure out what works for the both of you. And sometimes that is separation. And so it's very scary to acknowledge that. It can be really hard to acknowledge it. But for you to be able to say, I want to do everything I possibly can. And if that means saying to your partner, we have to go to therapy, something has to change, whatever it is, or I won't be able to move forward in this. So if the person's listening, here's what I'm going to have her do right now. I'm going to have her close her eyes and hold physically onto her body, right? Like give yourself a little bit of hug. 
And I want you to say to yourself that you can get through whatever this is. Whatever hard time you're going through right now, whether it is home postpartum, whether it is talking about separation, whether it's doing the hard work to stay married, that you can survive anything that happens. And every hard thing is going to lead to growth. And so what you feel right now, feel it and let it move you. And so my challenge for that person listening today is to do one thing different. Whether that is having a hard conversation with your partner, reaching out to help from a friend, leaving the house a mess so you actually get a break and you don't resent anyone even more, walking out and getting the pedicure and let your partner take the kids, right? Whatever that is, do one thing different today and then give one moment of complete, compassionate, unconditional, positive regard to yourself. So tangible. Our listeners know how much we love something that they can just take Mm -hmm. away and take action on right away. And it's just one thing, you know, it's just one thing. And that one thing can provide opportunity where right now it just seems really dark. So thank you guys both. Like Emily, Jen, this has been such an inspiring interview. You guys are a hoot to talk to. So (laughs) let our audience know where they can find more. You can hear us on the Shrink Chicks podcast. You can follow us at Shrink Chicks on Instagram or therapy group. We own the therapy group. It is a practice. We have clinicians in Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Florida, and California. I think I need to get over to Wisconsin in the Midwest. Yes, you do. Um, (laughs) If you're in any of those states and looking for to work with um, a like-minded clinician, we'd love to connect you. You can reach out anytime. We also have a lot of referrals in different states. So if you're looking for someone and need something in your area, we have the best head of operations, Nikki, who will be the person who answers the email and try to help you find someone as well. We have loved being here with you. And soon you guys will be on Trink Chicks. We're doing a fun swap. And thank you for having us today. Thank you guys so much. Look for that interview coming later on this year or even into 2023. And thank you again so much. So for those of you listening who love this episode, who have been loving the Herself podcast, please leave us a review and a rating. It's wherever you listen to podcasts right away at the bottom. It helps us find other awesome guests like you too and can get more information like this into the world.